0: So hello, beautiful souls. Hello, beautiful spirit. Welcome back to another episode of the Growing Through Grief podcast. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Today, I would like to let you listen in on a different type of conversation in regards to grief. We're going to be talking about sexual grief, sexual trauma that could potentially lead into a conversation around racialized trauma. So heads up, if this is something that you are uncomfortable with, you might want to pause and not listen until you're ready to have and participate in this type of conversation. Even though we're not getting to anything graphic, there may be some of you who are not quite ready to hear about what sexual trauma, sexual grief looks like. Yes? So let me introduce my guest. I wouldn't dare do this alone. (laughs) Let me introduce my guest. My guest is Edie Nathan. Edie is a licensed therapist. She's an author. She's a public speaker and a lot, lot more. It would take us a little bit for me to tell you all that this woman does. She's uh, been at this adventurous life for more than
1: 20 years. Welcome, Edie. It is really great to be here, Diana. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for saying yes when I asked. So we're not going to dive right into that heavy topic immediately, but I want to ask you about something that really attracted me to your website. And it's your logo. There is a logo there that talks about the cycle of life. So when we're going through what we're going through, we're born and life starts to happen. And then we get older and we transition into a new life. Tell us about your perspective on this cycle of life.
1: The Ouroboros, that's what it's called. And it took me a little while to even pronounce it correctly. And we see it actually in images where it's the head of a snake Usually it's in gold or black. And then a circle that goes right back to that that head. And it's like almost as if it's the tail. And it's the idea of birth and, and rebirth and death. And so it is really the cycle of life and the snake, the the head of the snake just kind of takes us through the, the initiation of life through death and then rebirth. And it is an ancient symbol, and it, it to me, it's really what we go through in very broad strokes, but it's also what we go through in tiny moments. And those tiny moments are kind of like the hero-shiro journey where something happens to us and we're forever changed, and we go into a cave. And we, we, we become the warrior or the warrioress And we do our battle with our shadows or the things we don't want to look at or our challenges. And then we come out and we're forever changed. And in a way, we've let go of something. We've let go of some part of our skin. And we have found a new skin. Mm. And then we decide how we're going to live in the world in that new skin. We know we have a new skin. But the people around us aren't so sure and we look the same, we talk the same, you know, but inside we are forever changed. Mm -hmm. That's
0: beautiful. That's beautiful. So you use the word shadow for someone who may be listening and don't quite understand what you mean when you say shadow.
1: So a shadow is actually a Jungian term and It's interesting because the the whole cycle that I just took you through is is actually implemented and written about by Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Hero's Journey. And I actually talk about The Hero Shiro Journey. He did not talk about The Shiro Journey, but the times that we're living in begs us to, to, to feminize a little bit or to include all people. So it's meant to include all people. The shadow represents that which we don't want to look at, or a challenge within ourselves. So there's a a world where we have symbols that are universal. So, for example, if I say to you, mother, you know what that means. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care where you are from. You know what mother is. So that is called a, a universal archetypal symbol. And the thing is, is that there's the good mother, and then there's the shadow mother, the part of the mother that we might not want to look at, that we've internalized, that might judge us or might be cruel. And so we go into that cave and we deal with the parts of our our lives or our shadows or our judges that get in the way of us living a life that we can dream about and that we want to not just imagine what we want to embody
0: yes and it's all part of the cycle of life it's all
1: part of the cycle
0: yes birth the death and shedding of skin yeah wow that's beautiful that is beautiful <laughs> so the cycle of life share with our audience if you don't mind a little bit about your own grief experiences and i know we've had a very <laughs> solid, rich conversation prior to this conversation. And I'm recalling that you and I have something in common. We're part of this club that no one wants to be part of. And that is we both lost our moms. Yeah. And I recall you also sharing that you lost your partner at the age of 27. And you lived in this multicultural environment. And then you moved to an all-white environment. And those experiences there definitely created some grief experiences, right?
1: You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You, you, you actually said it better than I could have said it, said, said it It is like, yes, it didn't, didn't necessarily happen in, in that order, but certainly leaving a, a very multicultural environment to then go into a very white and, you know, I'm, I'm a white cisgendered woman, but you know, it was very, it was a cultural shock to all of a sudden move to an area where there were, you know, it was not so multicultural, like not at all. And it was rather shocking and it was, it was hard. It was um, like, I don't belong here. And so it brings a lens that, that I welcome because it's opened my heart in ways that you can't force or you can't even create. If it happens, it happens. You know, but my and 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 so leaving that environment was certainly filled with grief, going through life and having been teased or and bullied, um, abused sexually. And then having been a very big, a bigger woman. I'm not a bigger woman now, but having put on weight, really, I think, is a response to wanting to protect the self and the soul from being hurt again. And I think that sometimes that's what people do. They, they shield themselves either through weight or through weight loss or through drugs or, you know, alcohol, and, um, but for me, it was food. And I figured, you know, nobody could get to me if I was well protected and padded, if you will. And then I lost, I lost my partner when I was 27 and then my mom more than 20 years ago. And that club of losing the mom is pretty, a pretty intense one. And it's funny because no matter how old you are, and even if the relationship was a rough one, upon the death of, of of a mom, sometimes what's taken away is the thought, well, maybe one day I can work it out. One day I can make it better if it was a rough relationship. If it was a good relationship, then it's like, why couldn't she have been around longer? And I... Had you know, this loving woman around me longer.
0: Yeah. There's no love like a mother's love, right?
1: It, it's true. Or, and sometimes you want that to be true and it's not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right? It really
0: struck me when you said you moved into this white neighborhood and you there was a feeling of, I don't belong here. Yeah. And as you said that, I'm looking at you, this white body, and looking at myself from the screen, the reflection, knowing that this black body, although there may be some differences in how you felt, in the journey, and the legacy of enslavement, but at the, body, at the end of the day, we all want to feel
1: that we belong. That's right that we are seen, heard, and cared for, right? That's right. That's right. And and that is certainly an imprint of being an outlier, being outstanding, not feeling like you belong. And there are people of all races who can feel that way. And it is a terrible feeling to have. And it's a hard one to to dance with. And yeah. to come out of yeah. and to find to find your way out of. You yeah. know, it's it's hard. And our senses of self, if if they are so connected with that sense of I don't belong, the effects of that can be long-lasting. And one I think needs to take it on because it is certainly grief. It's a it's a different kind of grief and it's a lost sense of self for sure but trying to find connection to the self. And the thing is, is that the way we learn about ourselves initially is through the people who raise us, whoever those people happen to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be a birth mother. It might be an adoptive mother. It might be adoptive parents, period. It might be a grandma. It might be an aunt mm-hmm. or aunt, you know. So, but they're the ones, you know, and our teachers, hopefully, who, te- who teach us about Uh, You know, uh, about how we are seen and then we take we take that on and we take that on in good ways and we take that on sometimes not in such good ways, because if the messaging was negative, Diana, then we hold that negative. We hold that negative message.
0: So share with us some of the ways that you navigated and healed that journey, that part of your life. We all have these different phases of life that we go through different things. What are some things that you did to bring back that sense of belonging and sort of back to yourself because people can't people can't make us feel like we don't belong. It's internal. That's right. What are some things that you did to support yourself during that journey?
1: Well, you know, sometimes you have to leave. Mm -hmm. And that was a first step for me because leaving what wasn't working out so well was a brave step. And the desire always is, you know, try to work it out with where you're at. But if it's not going to work out with where you're at, at some point when you're ready then you say, I'm not going to keep trying because I'm not getting any, I'm not getting what I need. And you, you know, it, you know, it, but it's really hard to make that move. And it's really hard to even find a support system who will support that move. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really finding the internal warrior, if you will, and saying, you know what, my war is my own internal war. And I've got to, I've got to be chief now. I've got to be, I've got to be, the, the goddess of, of chieftainess, you know, whatever, I just made that up, but it's, it's truly, it's like, it's like, it's like owning of, of the self and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out into the world and I'm gonna find my people. I don't know who my people are even. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to do if you don't feel so good about yourself. But the first thing is to begin to imagine it. Imagine the world you want. Imagine what you want for yourself. And it might be because you've read something or you've heard something or you've seen something on, on, on the tube or YouTube, you've heard someone speak and they are so compelling. And it's like, okay, I want a little bit of that. So how do I move toward that? Oh, I want a little bit of some, something that this other person has said and you begin to craft your own wisdoms of what you believe, because when you don't know who you are or you're really struggling You don't even have your own wisdoms. And so it's kind of creating your ritual of wisdoms of what's going to be yours. And you begin to develop. And I began to develop a voice around that. And my voice was developed around how can I be my best self? How can I? I I went through a terrible time when I was completely agoraphobic and I couldn't even leave my house. And then I found art and I found craft. And I found pottery. And the thing about clay is, number one, you can play with Play-Doh. It's not that expensive. You can get it. You can create masks. You can create dolls. You can create things. And then you can mush them up and you can create them again. And there is something about clay that allows an evolution of the self of building and taking down and building and taking down. And so clay became a wonderful outlet of the development of the self.
0: Hmm. An outlet for the development of oneself. Yes. I want to go back to the comment you made about the weight, which Mm. was to protect yourself. If someone who's listening to this and you miss that, and perhaps you're struggling with your weight and not really And you've also had some other violations, whether they were sexual violations, physical. But you're not making the correlation between not being able to lose that weight, not wanting to lose the weight. And that's okay if you don't want to lose the weight. But if it's affecting your health and you would like to lose it and you've had this trauma, perhaps you're not making that correlation that the weight is there unconsciously. To protect you, to, if it's sexual violation, to keep the man away. I won't be attractive. No one is going to look at me. I don't have to worry about this happening again because men are not attracted to overweight women. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Was that the thinking process that you were going through when you
1: became so overweight? I wish it was so conscious. I don't know that it's so conscious. I think it came into consciousness. You know, and everything that you laid out is so accurate. The thing is, is that sometimes women will, will put on weight, and so will men, for the same reasons, to protect themselves. But the aggressors are not always men. They're sometimes women, and they're sometimes girls, and they're sometimes boys, and they're sometimes our trusted, learned men who hide behind the shield of the cloth. And what I mean by that are our religious men and women, sadly, who have abused. And and so there is a need sometimes to protect oneself uh, through weight. And I certainly did that. And the thing is, is that it wasn't that I was hungry or I even knew what hunger was. And I talk about, um, and this is a book not yet written, but will be written at some point of where we are hungry. Are we hungry in our throats? Are we hungry in our heads? Are we hungry in our hearts? Are we hungry truly in our, in our bellies? A lot of times we don't even know what that hunger is. And are we hungry in our feet? Like we are hungry to run. So it's like, where, where are we hungry? And when, when we can identify where we're hungry, the relationship with food begins to shift because each of those places actually gets identified like the hunger in the head is trying to wipe out a thought. And so the way to do that is to shift into food, the hunger in the, in the throat or in the mouth, like you want to taste something because whatever you are tasting can be emotionally vile. So you're trying to get rid of something. And so the food becomes the comfort. There is the hunger in the belly, but a lot of times at least for me and some of the people with whom I've worked, you know, they don't even know what hunger is. They just know they don't want to feel yearning. They don't want to feel the desires. Is it a sexual hunger? And I missed, didn't even go through that here, but how do you shut that down? Sometimes it's with food. And 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 truly, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, you, you open this about sexual grief, but, Someone who has put on weight, you know, just sexually, it, it can be very, very hard to be intimate with another person because of the weight. So the weight serves as a protection, but it also serves as if you dare to get near me, then maybe it'll be okay. But then it's literally difficult to get comfortable enough with someone to move into something that's intimate, physically. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so let's go there. You mentioned earlier about some of your grief uh, experiences, events, whatever, you mentioned the, uh, the sexual abuse. And we talked about a sexual response to sexual trauma. So I'll let you just take the conversation and share with the ladies who are listening your perspective on all of this. Okay. And I know you're getting ready to write a book or, and
1: you're also, I'm, I'm halfway through you're right halfway now. Through. There's a working, yeah. yeah, there's a working title. It's called sexual grief. Yeah. A human, a human condition, a human condition. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Because I think that it, that this book is not just for women. It is for women. It is, it is for all people. I don't even want to distinguish gender. It is for all people, mm-hmm. wherever you are and however you feel or think about yourself. Yeah. With that said, I see sexual, sexual grief is a response to a sexually traumatic event and sexual trauma and sexual grief form a kinship. And that kinship, holds you hostage from living a life worth living. And it's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. And sexual grief is a natural response. It's a natural response to an unnatural sexual traumatic event.
0: Yeah. When you make that statement, it's a sexual response to an a natural response to an unnatural sexual event. I'm reminded of situations where maybe it's a young teenage girl who's being violated and she actually responded. The body responded.
1: That's right.
0: Right? That's right. Even though that's not what she wanted. So because she responded, the body responded to the stimulation, she went on to live her life thinking
1: that she gave permission. That's right. That's right. And so what's the outcome of a story like that? There's a lot of outcomes. Okay. One is I'm never going to let someone touch me. Another is what's the point? I'm going to let anybody touch me. And my body is no longer my queendom you know i i like to think of the body as our it it is it is our castle it is for women it is our kingdom our queendom for for all people it is it is your home it is it is to be respected and honored and when someone externally dishonors our bodies we then sometimes dishonor it ourselves because we have a shame response and because we think oh this is this is about who i am and and i didn't fight hard enough or i didn't do something enough and the sexual grief comes in and it affects not only the way that we think about ourselves but how we engage in relationships or and and it affects how, how we look at a calendar year for example if a, a certain abuse happened at a certain time of year we might find that years later we get sick during that time or we get very emotional during that time, but we don't mark our calendars. And one of the things that I always talk about is you've got to mark your calendar. You've got to know and remember because if you don't remember, it remembers you. Are you feeling invisible? Are you sliding through
0: life feeling hopeless and wishing someone would come along and save you? Is it time to stop wishing and time to get busy living life, creating what you desire, living a victorious life of fulfillment in a community with other compassionate hearts, healing, growing, transforming into your greatest potential? Sign up now for the next course, Growing Through Grief System, a holistic and compassionate approach to limitless growth and healing. Visit www.coachingtotheheart.org to learn more. Celebrate yourself, your life, and your legacy. We are growth seekers, mastering the game of life and creating a different reality beyond grief and loss. Let me make certain I understand what you just said, that when an event happened, this case we're talking about sexual violation you're recommending that the woman mark the calendar of the day that it happened
1: yes or put something there that says that lets you know whether it's a a sad face I don't care but I want I want the recognition it's not about forgetting because we can't forget it's about learning how to remember peacefully the thing is, is because we want to forget and we want to push it away, it continues to hold us hostage. And how do we remember peacefully? So one of the things that I talk about and I teach are hostage negotiation techniques because the memories hold us hostage. It holds our brains hostage. It holds our hearts hostage. It holds our ability to be intimate hostage. One of the first st- steps to... Dealing with a hostage situation mm. is by listening. The last thing people want to do when they've been a victim of sexual abuse is to is to listen to what's going on within their bodies or within their memories, and they often shove things down. and it's it's a kind of amnesia that happens to protect the self. and sometimes sometimes the memories come up and sometimes they don't. But if we can, if anyone who has, knows and remembers that they've been in a sexually traumatic experience like sexual abuse and instead of like saying i'm going to forget that i'm going to forget that i'm going to just push it down chances are the person who's pushed it down is is struggling they're struggling to have good relationships with a partner if they if they if they chose to have children with their children maybe they're they're hyper vigilant. And so they're protecting their children because they never want their children to get hurt the way they were hurt. But what ends up happening is the children don't know are, are so protected that maybe they don't grow their own ability to be in the world because they've been so protected. Mm-hmm. And then they that kind of cradling actually puts them into a position where they're less safe on some level because they're not mapping as well.
0: Yeah. So going back to the documenting, highlighting on the calendar, yeah. when you rephrase that statement for me, what came up for me was I get to control the narrative. Yes. Because it, it's going to show up. It's going to come up when you least expect that. That's it. So right. if you put it on a the calendar. Then you also, in all likelihood, you have some tools some skills and techniques on how to deal with it when it comes up and it just come up and you have no clue and you just, you have a meltdown. That's right. That's one advantage of putting it on a calendar. I have to admit that surprised me. That statement surprised me.
1: I'm sure that it did. And I saw the surprise in your face. The thing is, (laughs) is that it doesn't need to be, you know, this is the date, you know, but it does need, you know, you don't need to spell it out because I think that, like grief, sexual grief, or or you know any bad thing that happens to us can be an unexpected ally. It can cause us to grow in ways that we never thought we could grow. And so what I'm really tapping into is how can you be an how can what happened to you be an unexpected ally and cause you to grow and see the world and see yourself in ways that you may never have had that experience not happened as a sexual grief survivor, I happened to be abused by girls who were a year older than me and I was nine. Mm -hmm. And you know, on some level, we can say, okay, so you were nine years old, and they were 10. But the reality is, is that if they did that to me, something was being done to them. And because there's no way that we, you know, we're born and we know we know about this stuff. We don't. Okay. So they were doing to me something that was being done to them. And that is the only way that I actually got to forgiveness was the understanding that they were hurting too, and they were mirroring something that was going on for them. Yeah. And that's where my compassion could come in. Now, could I ever imagine having compassion? No. Was that part of my work and my process of owning myself? You bet.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So now we know there are just tons of possibilities in regard to who may have been hurting the girls who hurt you. But let's just go back to what we, we know for sure. (laughs) Yeah. That this white male body and the legacy that started how many ever hundreds of years, I'm going to start with, Black women, yes, the raping, the violating, because these women were enslaved, and you and I talked about this briefly as well. And my question it to did. you was, why didn't the white woman stand up, yeah, for the black woman as opposed to uh, she also abusing my ancestors? And your comment to me was. No one back then. No one was standing up to the white man, and there were whether they were written rules or unwritten rules that the wife knew her role. There was power, there was money, and everybody needed to line up with that. And even though my belief is the white man was raping the black woman, I believe it it was. No, what my belief is that it was also happening in his home with his white wife and perhaps his white kids. Yeah. And I thought of that when you said the young girls, somebody is hurting them. I made up the story that they're white. They may not be white.
1: Mm-hmm. The girls who abuse you. Yeah, they were white. They, they were, were white. white. That, I made up that story. Oh, no, you, you did. You know, you know, it was an accurate story. Yeah. And here's the generation of stuff just going from, you know, the beginning. That's right. And look what we're right. Yeah. And what we're actually seeing in the brain now and the brain science, not to get really off this conversation, because I really want to delve a little bit deeper. And thank you for remembering our conversation yeah. that was so rich. But there's actually brain science. They're actually able to track DNA markers for generational trauma now and it's, it's compelling. It's really Scientific America just put out a very compelling article about this. So it's, it's out there and there, there, there's more and more research that I think is going to be happening. So even if we didn't experience it, if our legacy, our generational legacy of folks before us did, and it can be certainly the abuses that you have related to, but it can also be victims of war. It can be where there were undue stressors that were just so compelling that it just brought, brought people down, that, that that the generational trauma does move from generation to generation. And so you come out and you don't know why that you've al- you've always felt like you didn't belong or you've always felt shame. But also some of the research says that some of that generational trauma can be turned around if we can start to give different messaging around the messaging that you're holding.
0: Yeah. Refrain.
1: And that's the positive stuff. Yeah. hmm Yeah. That's right. But to get back to that, the white man and the and the Black women who were raped and enslaved, and I think that I may have even used the word, yes, but his wife was also enslaved. Yeah. And you know what? Everybody was held hostage, and he was king. He and, was
0: also held hostage too, because that's not how we're created. So there was pain inside of him to be able to do such
1: brutal things. Maybe. See, I, I think, I think you're being nicer to him. No, I, I,
0: no, not being nice. It's unless he's a machine different from you and I. There was pain inside of him and in order for him to be able to do the things that he did, there was something going on inside of him that was not the norm. We don't come into this world. No,
1: we don't come into this world. You're right. But what about the training? What about the the masterful training of the male, even in, 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 in some of our cultures here? Today, yeah, we look at some you know religious cultures, and the the, the men still rule, you know, and yeah. the women are taught you're not allowed, you should not have pleasure, or you know you must acquiesce to. If we look, you know, at the Mormons and and some of the 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 hot the the cultural um, mandates of, of with within that religious structure, and it's it's just startling that it can still exist yeah to get back you know yeah okay I I love your insight and I love that perspective that he must have been that white man must have been hurting too and I appreciate that yeah but what do you do with that what do you do with the vestiges of that generational trauma and the angst and the angst of of some of the the white families who are now realizing what their ancestors did and the realization of the black families that they've got, you know, especially with the DNA. Now I'm, I'm part white. I'm half white. Like, What do you do with this? And what do you do with the way if we go back to that sense of self and how do you own, what are you owning and who do you want to be? Yeah. Well, the world is
0: showing us what we do with this, and it's pretty horrific. But sometimes things have to be turned upside down to turn back the right side, the right ways. I don't think you and I will live long enough to see complete harmony. Sadly. I don't think anybody will ever see that. I don't
1: know. I don't know. You know what I hope, Diana? Like, you and I are having this amazing conversation. Yeah. And I would just like to say that the more conversations people can have, like the conversations you and I are having, yeah, I just hope that they can continue and that they can continue to get out there to understand that just because I'm a woman and I'm a white woman doesn't mean that I can't have a wonderful conversation, you know, with people that are very different than me and want to. And if we can just be curious and continue to be curious, then maybe we, in our tiny moments, have a chance to change some part of the world. Yeah, yeah.
0: And just remember that it's, it's not our fault. No. It happened years and years ago before we were even thinking of being born. That's I mean, right. We blame the, the grand, the greatest grandfather, grandmother.
1: It's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. That's right. I love that. Yeah. It's not our fault. It's our responsibility. And what is our responsibility? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. And that's, that becomes a question to the self. And it's, a very, it's very personal. Yeah. Isn't it?
0: It's very personal. One person at a time, one breath at a time. Let's do this.
1: That's right. <laughs> Let's do one this. One person at a time, one breath at a time.
0: Exactly.
1: Let's you, do this.
0: You mentioned the
1: cloth. What did you mean when you said the cloth? I meant that the the and it's men. So I, it and and some women, but in you know the the priests and the rabbis hmm. who abused. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they, and thank you for going back to that. And they hid behind their faith and their position. Yeah, formed. that's
0: the whole body of, I mean, if you just look at the insurrection, January 6th, the signs, these people are telling you who they are. And a yeah. lot of them are white Christian nationalists. That's right. The faith, that's using right. their faith their Bible, their scripture, their God, to hurt people.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: And that's right. the more I learn about this, that's very intentional. The whole Christian body is very intentional to keep people in a line, to keep people enslaved, to not tell the truth about, you know, the, that inner guidance, that God, that, that spirit within us, that we have to go to the church to get it.
1: That's right.
0: And, and there are so many people who are still don't have that truth yet.
1: No, they,
0: they don't. just don't have that truth. So, no, they don't. wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about your book. What is your overall intention for writing this book? If I'm wanting to... I can't wait for the book to come out. Give me something
1: to look forward to. Okay. We all want a life that's worth living. Yes. This book, if you're facing sexual grief and because of some sexually traumatic event, then what this book will help you do is find a voice so that and 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 find tasks and exercises and tools so that you can begin to have the life that's worth living.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you to to share one or two with us. So there's a woman, if there's somebody out there right now, who's really overwhelmed with the pain of having been violated, we're going to say sexually because that's the topic we're talking about. Yes. Um, What would you tell her?
1: I would tell her that um, her sexual violation is not all of who she is. It is only a part of her and she is much more than the person who violated her. And let's tap into who that wonderful, magnificent woman is because she is a warrior. Yeah. And a tip. Hmm. I love the story. Um, and the metaphor of the wizard of Oz, because it's about empowerment and we all meet challenges and in the wizard of Oz, there, there were challenges all of the time, but those challenges were really about how to get to your heart, how to get to your brain and how to get to your courage. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that even though this is, you know, there were white, it was all white. this messaging is for everyone because it's so classic that, that, that Dorothy, the main character was bestowed these red shoes that had power, but she didn't realize she had. And my my tip is that we all have the red shoes. All people do. And that we carry the power within us. We just need to recognize it.
0: Mm-hmm. Empowerment, how to get to your heart, your brain, and courage. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's easy to push it down. And just let it
1: sit in your gut. Right? Yeah, right. And then it just begin to eat at your bones. That's right. It yeah. eats at your bones. It eats at your bones. And the, the goal is, let's stop it from eating at your bones. Yeah. Because I I really do believe that all people have amazing courage and that all people have delicious brains and that all people have hearts. It's yeah. just, we need to get to them. Yeah, because so often they're masked by just surviving, and we need to do more than survive. We need to thrive.
0: Yeah, you said to me before we hung up the last time we spoke. You said we as women need to stick
1: together. I did. <laughs>
0: what do you mean by that?
1: I think that sometimes women can um, become a little catty, and um, because they're insecure or because they 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 need to feel like somehow they're better than someone else mm-hmm. but if we could level ourselves out a little bit and calm ourselves down and not think of each other that uh, as competitors that we could actually change the world mm-hmm. but we need to gather yeah. we need to gather we need to gather in our perspective tents we need to gather as the powerhouses we are we need to gather as the goddesses we are. We need to, you know, be Athena and we need to be Diana and we need to, to be Hestia, and we need to really tap into, you know, all of the different aspects of how we are goddesses because we can tend to the earth and we can make it grow and we can make our voices be heard,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it's much easier to do it as a collective. And think about doing it alone.
0: Yes, that is beautiful. You and I both know that growth happens in those tender places. Mm. I was very yeah. intentional about naming this podcast. It is always about growth. I mm-hmm. love the term queendom. Thank you. I, I love that. And gathering. In those tents, those places where there's no competition. What is that?
1: Yeah. yeah. What is that? Right? Because yeah. then you're so busy, right, Diana, being competing that you're not owning yourself. You're just competing. You're, res- you're a responder rather than an innovator. Right. And right. why can't we be innovators even, especially because we can be so, hmm, vulnerable, you know, especially because we carry wounds, especially, and especially because we, we grieve. And, and my, my first book, which has been out for a couple of years, it's called It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. It's about self-discovery. And this next book, Sexual Grief, right now, the working title, A Human Condition, it's about self-discovery and no longer being held hostage. Yeah. Self-discovery, yes.
0: You when you were talking, I remember, I don't know if you know Resma, I don't know the last name, but anyway, he talks about the wounds and the womb. And Mm -hmm. our babies are being born from these wounded wounds, right? Oh yeah. Talked about how the white mothers they Raise these boys who become men. We did. We talked and about with hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a vicious cycle. But Absolutely. I love what you said. Let's just stick together, and I'm looking forward to see how that might show up in our space together.
1: Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that you you the fact that you are bringing this out there, and and your many guests. You know, you bring you bring out the best in people. And, and isn't that a wonderful thing to have? Isn't that a precious, precious part of, of, of your superpowers? Mm. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Before we end, maybe a couple of seconds. Is there anything else that you haven't said that you would like to say?
1: Mm. So there's this little story about about this um, Buddha that was actually in, um, discovered from a, a place. It, it was built in like the 1500s, and it was just like this huge concrete Buddha. And um, in 1959, they tried to, to move it, and as they were moving it, it fell. And a chip of the concrete, which they didn't know, fell off. And what they saw, what they found was gold. And then they began to painstakingly chip off the concrete. And the story goes that the monks who had this gorgeous, from the 1500s, this gorgeous Buddha, had, had lathered it, slathered it in gross concrete and made it made it look ugly because they knew they were going to be attacked and they wanted to save it. They all died, but the Buddha remained intact. And it wasn't until the fifties, that this happened because something was being renovated and that, that we all walk with parts of us that have the concrete, but the goal is to start to chip away so that you can get to your golden self. Mm. And that's what I'd like to leave you with. And that's a story that I have in the new book.
0: Mm. Get back to your golden self. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for saying yes.
1: Thank you for Getting me to yes.
0: Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. So to to the listeners, yes, this is a beautiful, I hope, I hope you got tons of nuggets and knowledge that will support you in moving the needle, either for yourself or maybe there's someone else you would like to support. So give yourself permission to feel whatever it is you need to feel, heal and grow. Keep on growing. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.